0: going to look at a topic tonight. This is not a standard type message for me. We're going to be jumping around a lot. uh, So hopefully you have fast fingers or you've got an electronic device that makes that somewhat easy. But we're going to look starting out at Romans 12 verse 2. And the Apostle Paul says there, "...do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind." that by testing you may discern and here is the key phrase you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect what is the will of God have you ever asked that question come on how many of you have asked that question what is God's will only every day pastor Scott do I ask that question and you know what we often do we often put three little words on the end of that sentence what is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God for me? Some of you single people are like, yeah, I say that, but I don't say what, I say who? Who? who is the will of God? What's her name? What's his name? You know? And we ask this question about God's will with regard to the big decisions of life. You know, where we should live, what job I should pursue, who I should date, who I should marry, how many kids should I have? Uh, You know, what is my, my purpose in life? Where should I attend church? All of these things Uh, We all want to know the will of God. We don't always know how to get there, how to arrive, how to conclude what his will is. Now, we've got our methods. Some of us like to rush into something because we think it's what we want. And after we rush into it, then we spend a lot of time trying to convince ourselves and those around us that this thing that I've pursued is, in fact, the will of God. That's one method. Some of us don't like to rush into things. We take our time. And we're waiting for something before we move. We're, we're still like a stone, and we're waiting for a sign, waiting for some big indicator, some divine thing, something supernatural, something circumstantial. Perhaps I heard a story about a guy who lived in London's East End, and he had a problem. He was in love with two women. He was in love with the, uh, the, the, the rapturous Sharon, beautiful blonde and he was also in love with the alluring Maria, a gorgeous brunette. But he knew in his heart it's wrong, it's wrong to be in love with two women. i got to pick one. But he didn't know, which do I pick? Is it Sharon or Maria? Sharon or Maria? And he was going crazy with this. He just couldn't decide. And he was, in, in his anxiety, ambling through the streets of London. And he's just agonizing over this and he sees a cathedral and he was not a religious man. He, he never prayed but he thought well it's worth a shot he finds his way into that cathedral and he sort of slides to his knees in front of the altar and he he cries out to the heavens in that thick cockney accent he says lord whom shall i have and then he opens his eyes and there on the stained glass above the altar was his answer the words "Av maria Yeah, some of you will get it in a minute. (laughs) Now, others of us are not so big on the signs. We don't go in for all the supernatural stuff. We don't need a big sign. We want to know, what does a Bible say? What does the Word of God say? I want to know, am I supposed to do this thing? And so we open the Bible, and then we proceed to misconstrue some verse to take action on a particular path in life, I had a friend in college. I went to Liberty University and this guy was at that school because he'd come across Galatians 5:13, "For you brothers have been called to liberty." And that's that's how we ended up there, you know. Maybe God used that. I don't know, but people wrestle with the will of God for a couple of reasons. One, they don't know what God's will is. They're trying to find it. Or two, they do know what God's will is and they're trying to decide whether or not to do it. So, how we view the will of God is going to be beneficial for us regarding our joy, our fulfillment, our ambitions, and our effectiveness in life. How is it that we think about God's will? Do we look at God's will and think of it as a mystery? I think for the most part, we do. Do we need to? Does it need to be such a mystery? Can we demystify this uh, tonight? I think in order to be more confident about God's will in our lives, we need to understand a little bit about the facets of God's will. And so that's what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to share with you to start here three facets of God's will. And, And when I say that, that is not to say that I believe in multiple wills of God. I believe that God has one overarching will, and within that will, there are some facets that Scripture alludes to. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, that this will be a productive time. We need your Spirit to illuminate uh, the text that we look at tonight, the various places that we're going to go. And Lord, help us not not to be too mystical about your will, certainly not to be too fearful about your will, but to rest in it. And to be open to what you have to show us tonight. And I pray your blessing upon our time in the word. In Jesus' name, amen. The first facet of God's will in your notes is God's sovereign will. God's sovereign will. This is the will of God that he accomplishes no matter what. This is what he will fulfill. Uh, the things that he desires to happen that have nothing to do with us. With our actions. Uh, he is sovereign. His will in this aspect is sovereign. When we use that term sovereign, what does that mean? To say that God is sovereign, it means that he's in control. He's in control. God will do exactly what he has planned to do in every generation and forever. Some people call this aspect of his will his decretive will. He decrees it. Do you ever overturn something that God decrees to happen? No. It's inevitable. We just read Romans twelve two. And we talked about how we can test and approve that which is God's will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's what we're talking about here. Who is that will pleasing to? Pleasing to you? No. It's that which is pleasing to God. Uh, Isaiah 46, verse 9, I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. These are the things that God has determined he will do from the very, very beginning. And he will do it. He will do it. He will get her done. His purpose is established. He's going to get what he wants. He's going to get what he wants. Psalm 135, 6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. He does. God does what he wants. Is it our business what he wants? Only if he makes it our business. Only if he makes it our business. And when he does, that's an act of mercy. Because a lot of this we don't get. We are fallen. We are not God. We are fallen man. And so we can't comprehend everything about the sovereignty of God and about the sovereign will of God. Um, you know, within this noggin here, there are three pounds of fallen matter, as there are in your head. Maybe some a little less. That's all right. And we, we struggle sometimes. Uh, but the good news is we don't have to really fully understand it. Isn't that nice to know? you got to make your peace with that, by the way. It's okay if you don't understand everything that God is doing. Because the conclusion of all these verses is that there is a will of God that he alone will bring to pass. It belongs to him. It has nothing to do with our actions. We can't derail it. We can't deter it. Uh, His will in this regard will be done and it always will be done. In the great scheme of things, he is in total control. He is sovereign. Now I will add, this is often hidden from us until it happens Romans eleven thirty three. oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments how inscrutable his ways we can't always know what's going on now my wife pretty much knows everything I do I can't stop it not that I want to all right But I will tell you, she just had a birthday, and I thought to myself, this is the year I'm going to try to pull off a surprise for her. And so it wasn't a big party, but I got a small little contingency for a little surprise thing. I didn't want to go too big because I didn't want to risk her finding out. And so I put something together, and I thought, you know, last year we had just moved here. Her birthday's in January. We'd come just before Christmas. And so it was a hectic time. And, you know, I was like, okay, I got, I got to make up for that. We didn't do enough. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to surprise her. This is the year. I'm going to get her good. And everything, I organized it. I invited the right people. We bought the food. We did all the decorations. Had it all in place. The day of her birthday, she wakes up sick as a dog. <laughs> I mean, just death warmed over and still ravishing, you know, and she doesn't feel good. And she looks at me and I go, How you feeling, baby? And she's like, Oh, I, I can't do a thing today. And then she said, You're probably gonna want to re- postpone the party. <laughs> I'm like, how did you what do you oh, ah, man, I give up. I just give up. Listen, my wife may be able to know everything I'm trying to do. We can't always know what God's trying to do, He is above us. Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now that might seem a little depressing to you. Kind of makes you question your whole reason for being, doesn't it? A little bit. Do you wonder if God is sovereign and he will do what he wills to do no matter what, then what what is my reason for being here? If God is completely uh, set on what he will accomplish, then does my will mean jack squat? And if it does mean jack squat, then what is my purpose? Do I even need to exist? Well, here's the deal. This is not depressing because you have a will. You have a free will. Your actions, your behavior are not foregone conclusions. You need to understand that. Now, how does that work with the fact that God is in control of everything? Well, this is another facet of God's will. In your notes, this is God's permissive will, his permissive will. God's will expressed to us, which he gives us the freedom to do or not do. And this is what we're talking about. When we talk about the will of God, often we're talking about that which we have the potential to do or not do, because we want to know what God's will is, and we want to do the will of God. We want to know what it is that we have the ability to disobey so that we don't disobey, so that we can be in God's will. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of that, how do we know that we have a free will? Because not everybody's convinced about that. Well, here's what Revelation 22:17 says. The spirit and the bride say, come. Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires, desires, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I mean, it's basically saying if you want it, come and get it. There's a desire on the part of the one being beckoned. There's a will that is extended to that person. So There it is. It's also elsewhere, which I'll show you. But the question is, how can God be sovereign and give me a free will? Some people really struggle with that. They don't know how to reconcile those two things. Let me tell you something. It's because God is sovereign that you can have a free will. If you say that the fact of your free will negates the possibility of God being sovereign, you have a very limited understanding and view of what sovereignty is. God is sovereign no matter what. And he can be sovereign even if you have a free will. The reason that you have a will at all is because God gave it to you. Why did he do that? Because he loves you. When he created Adam, he loved Adam. When God looked at Adam, he said, it is good. It is good. It is very good. It is perfect. Adam was created in the image of God. What does God have? He has a will. Adam was created in the likeness of God. Therefore, Adam had a will. He was granted free will. God didn't make Adam a robot. That would not be a loving act. God created him with a will. He created you with a will. You, are, you and I are not little automatons. We're not pre-programmed to do the will of God. Why did he give us a will? Because above all, what does God demand? What does God desire? He desires worship. Worship. And worship is authenticated by voluntary submission of the will. Can you force worship? Daniel, can you force everybody to worship? If you could, you would, right? If Daniel could force us to worship during that worship time, we'd be like this. I mean, we'd be singing our guts out. But he can't impose his will on us. And it would not be loving to do so. And God does not impose his will in every regard on you. You have been given a free will because worship requires a submission of the will. And even if you don't submit your will to God, you're still worshiping something. When you worship God, you are in his will. When you are out of his will, you are worshiping self. You understand? And so what goes along with this free will is the ability to choose that which is not pleasing to God in this permissive will. God allows things to happen that are not necessarily in accordance with his desires. Sin exists, okay? You already know that. You are witness to sin. You are guilty of sin, right? Everybody in here sins. How do you sin without a will? If God ordains everything, does he ordain your sin? No, that means that you got a will. And so this is a stumbling block for a lot of people who are atheistic. They don't believe in God. And you probably met somebody. They say, I don't believe in God. How come? Well, it's just too much evil. Have you heard somebody make that excuse? I don't believe in God. There's too much evil in the world. They don't understand the concept of free will. And you know what? If there was no such thing as free will, I would understand their argument. I really would. If if God did not permit free will and God by definition would be good and evil is rampant as it is, yeah, that would cause me to question the existence of God. But, but free will does exist. But here's the, here's the good thing, all right, is that within his permissive will, even though there is sin, even though there is evil, God is able to fulfill his own will despite our wickedness, despite sinful actions, and even in conjunction with our sinful actions. God can use Wrong choices, realities of a fallen world to accomplish his greater purpose. If you know the story of Joseph, you know this to be true. We're studying Genesis on Sundays. Hope you can join us for that if you haven't. But eventually, probably next year, we'll get to Joseph. And Joseph, that saga begins with this guy. He's the youngest of uh, starting out. It's 11 brothers later There's going to be 12 brothers, but Joseph is his daddy's favorite. He is the apple of of Jacob's eye. His brothers resent him. They can't stand him. And like all big brothers, at some point, they say to one another, let's kill little bro. And then cooler heads prevail, and they say, no, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. And so they fake his death, and they sell him into slavery, and they break dad's heart. And Joseph, from that moment forward, goes through a whole mess of horrible things. He gets accused of adultery. He gets imprisoned. He's set for execution. He gets forgotten, left to rot. And eventually, God shows favor, pulls him out of all of that. He's able to interpret the Pharaoh's dream. He is supernaturally elevated to become none other than the prime minister of Egypt. All because of the the, the rigmarole that he went through. And all the horrible things and all the sinful actions perpetrated upon him. God used every circumstance to bring about his perfect will. And because he's prime minister of Egypt, later his family go through famine in Canaan. They come down to get food and he's in a position to bless them. And then he reveals his identity. And here's what Joseph says to them in Genesis 50 verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And that's the character of God. He can use anything. Is it God's will that... that Evil things happen to us? Is that what we're saying? No, it's not what we're saying. I've met people who have made horrible choices in their younger days. You know, they, they were promiscuous. Maybe they contracted an STD. Maybe they were a substance abuser or an alcoholic. Maybe they're in a gang. Maybe they, they committed all kinds of crimes, stuff like that. Then they come to faith in Jesus. He redeems them, transforms them, and now they are uniquely qualified to minister to people who are struggling in those same phases of life they, they used to struggle in. And God uses their experience. Does that mean that God willed for all that stuff to happen to them? That is not how I'd characterize that. I'd say this is God's sovereignty utilizing the free will of man in which sin is permitted, but because God is sovereign, he can use it to accomplish his greater purpose. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful thing. But what about God's specific call on my life? Well, I don't want to miss out on his secret will, I mean, if there's things that he hides from us, then I don't want to miss out on that. Well, before we dive into that, let's not complicate this. I want to know about the will that he's already revealed. Before I start worrying about missing a secret will, what part of his will do I know about? What has he granted me access to? And this is the third facet. In your notes, it's God's proclaimed will. His proclaimed will. This is his will revealed in Scripture. I, wanna, I want you to look at Psalm 143. Uh, David was obsessed with the will of God. There are entire chapters in the Psalms that deal with the will of God. Look at Psalm 143.10. What does he say? Teach me to do your will. Teach me to do. Not understand. Not know. Not find, not uncover, not manifest. Teach me to do your will. And that implies that there is a will of God that is revealed already. David isn't baffled about what God's will is. He just needs the empowerment to do it, you see. And you might find that odd. You might say, well, I've searched the entire Bible for the name of the person I'm supposed to marry, and I can't find it anywhere. Well, let's refine your focus a little bit here. Our problem is not information. Our problem is obedience. So rather than worrying about knowing the will of God, we need to focus on doing the will of God. Where do we find it? Here here is what I want to tell you. You want to know what God's will? Who wants to know what God's will for their life is? You want to know? I know what it is. I know what God's will for your life is. Does that sound smug? Well, I don't have any greater access than you do because it's revealed in his word. All right, these are six things, six things that are included in God's revealed will for you. Number one in your notes, God wants you to know grace. He wants you to know grace. It's God's will first and foremost, before you worry about anything else in your life, it is his will that you be saved, that you be born again. I know that is some earth-shattering news right there. But there are some who disagree with that. There are some people who say that it's not God's will that everyone be born again. And I think that they would take issue with 1 Timothy 2, 3, and and 4, and 5. Here's what it says. It says this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All means all, and that's all all means, right? He desires how many people to be saved? all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Amen. Second Peter two, uh, 3, 9, rather, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's kind of a double expression of the same truth. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to die out of relationship with Christ. And in addition to that, he wants all to repent, to come to saving faith. Salvation of the lost is the will of the Father. That's why we have the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Okay? 1 John 2, 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever, whoever, not but a limited few, whoever does the will of God, abides forever to abide forever is to go to heaven that's eternal life how does it say that you can know that you're going to abide forever it's those that do the will of god how do you go to heaven is it by works no it's by grace through faith isn't it so whoever does the will of god what is the will of god it's the will of god that you trust you come by faith and receive the grace of jesus christ and we all know non-believers. Some of the non-believers that we know have a church background. Some of them don't. But a lot of them have this concept of God. Even if they don't know Christ, they understand that there is a God. There's someone greater than them. And they want to know what His will is. They want to they be in God's plan. And they will verbalize that. Can they? Can they know what God's will for their life is? Not if they don't know Jesus. Not if they don't know Jesus. You'll never know God's will unless you first receive God's grace. So, no one who has rejected Christ will ever be in God's will. This is step one. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not going to know what the will of God is, what the things of God are. And by the way, I would add to this not only does He want you to be saved, not only does He want you to be born again, He wants you to be baptized. He wants you to follow Him in believer's baptism, not because you don't go to heaven if you're not baptized. We don't believe water baptism saves you. And by the way, we're going to have another Baptism Sunday coming up in February. They're one of my favorite days here at the Lamb's Chapel. We're going to give people the opportunity to come up and, and identify with Christ. And it's a beautiful picture of the inward transformation of your salvation, where spiritually you died and were buried and you rose again a new creation. And when we dunk you, that's a picture of that. And it has an effect, it, it's a testimony of the gospel and we have people that have come to faith in Christ because they've seen people picture the gospel through baptism. But bat- water baptism, believers' baptism as we call it, is very important, it's an important step in your journey as a disciple. You want to know the will of God? I think it's good if you're a believer that you begin by being baptized, be obedient to the Lord and then begin to grow and you will learn what his will for your life is. So that's number 1. Grow in grace, no grace number two in your notes he wants you to grow in his word grow in his word which means he wants you in the bible every day are you in the word of god every day not just wednesday night not just sunday morning every day why psalm 119 105 your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path you're on a path every day without the word of god it's a dark path you're going to stumble you need something to light the way Now that you're born again, what does he want? Are are you good? You done? You prayed the prayer? You got your fire insurance? Is that his will for your life? No. He wants you to become a disciple. Great commission. Go, therefore, make disciples. He didn't say go, therefore, and ask people to pray a prayer. He wants you to grow. And so you can't grow unless you know what's in his word. A disciple is a follower of Christ. How are you going to follow him if you don't know what his teachings are? Where are they to be found? They're found in the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, Ephesians tells us we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. How do we know What those works are, they're found in the Bible. How do we know how we can be empowered to do those works? That's also found in the Bible. Some people say, well, I just pray a lot. That's great. You're going to need that little habit as you read the word of God. But his primary revelation is found in the scripture. And you come to it. And yes, pray as you study. Ask God to help you understand it. Ask God to help you apply it. But you got to know the word of God because that is the truth. And by it, you will recognize untruth and you will sidestep that which is not the will of God. If you know the right things, you will avoid the wrong things. How does the Department of the Treasury and Homeland Security identify counterfeit bills? Do they do it by studying the counterfeit? No, they study the genuine article. They look at actual currency so they can readily identify the, the wrong thing. And you study the Word of God so that you know untruth when you see it. And it's not just reading. There's a relationship here. There's obedience. There's application. Uh, I may have shared this illustration before. I bought a new car in my life only one time. Back in 2008, I bought an Acura MDX. And I was obsessed with this car. It was a horrible financial decision. But I enjoyed this car. And I, I remember I even took the manual inside with me after and i'd study the manual I'd, i just wanted to know all the bells and whistles and how to do all the stuff and you know had a tech package and all this you know i just was really consumed with this car but what if what if i'd hold up with that acura mdx manual and i just stayed in my in my house and i studied that and i poured over that and i, I just consumed it and i even like memorized it. You know, I would write down swaths of the manual on little index cards and tape them to my mirror and commit them to memory. And what if I, you know, even learned Japanese to read it in its original language? (laughs) All the while the car is just collecting dust in the garage. What's the point of that manual? To operate the car. And so the Bible has application You want to know the will of God? David says, Teach me to do it. To do it. All right? So there's that. And then number three in your notes, he wants his spirit to control you. What does that mean? That means be spirit filled. We just finished a whole series on Wednesdays about the Holy Spirit. When you were saved, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. We call that indwelling. But is that all God wants for you? No, he wants you to be filled. There's a difference. There's a difference. Uh, He lives in you as a born-again Christian. The Spirit of God lives in you presently and permanently. That's called indwelling. But God desires for you not just to be indwelled. He wants you to be filled. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So your ears perk up. This is the will of the Lord. You ready? Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, what's that look like? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what a spirit filled person looks like. I used to be a worship pastor, I loved that verse. Because of all this musical language, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, if you're spil- uh, filled with the Spirit, how will that affect everything you do? It should affect almost every er- it should affect every area of your life. When we gather and we sing and worship, if you're Spirit filled as you're doing that, how's that going to look? Are you going to be worried about what the guy next to you thinks of your voice? Are you going to be worried about when you raise your hands if you're being a distraction? Are you going to be thinking about your surroundings at all? No, because when you worship, you're you're fixated on one person. It's an audience of one. It's like you're a performer for an audience of one, Jesus Christ. He wants us to be consumed with him, you know? You thought, well, I've got the Spirit. I'm born again. I've got the Spirit. Yes, you do, but... God wants that spirit that lives in you to permeate every aspect of your life. When we say filled with the spirit, we don't mean it's like a glass of water that you fill up to the top and you get more spirit. You don't get more spirit, he gets more you. He gets more control. I've heard a great illustration. It's kind of like to be indwelled is like the spirit travels with you wherever you go. He's always present. You're in the car, he's in the seat next to you no matter where you go. When you are filled, he's behind the wheel. He has total control. Uh, Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, are we always kind to one another? Are Christians always kind to one another? what you born again people can be rude that can happen man what's that mean that means even though the indwelling is one time and it's permanent filling requires repetition you're not always filled peter gets filled like three times in the space of acts two to four And so you're going to need to be filled, which means you you need to be mindful of this. There's surrender involved. You surrender to the Lord. And it results in you doing the will of God. If you want to do the will of God, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Because that's when godly living is made possible through the empowerment. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he says, Give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances? Yeah. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you do you guys give thanks in all circumstances I don't how come because I'm not always filled with the spirit but if I was I would give thanks and it would, it, would, it would be not just in the good times can you imagine I've lost a few jobs in my day as have you I'm sure did you give thanks when you lost your job <laughs> now maybe later but not right away and it kind of takes time until the filling catches up with your circumstances. And that's when you say, you know, that job stunk anyway. God's got something better for me. This is going to be a good thing, you know. Uh, 1 Peter 2.15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. See, kind of reframe how you want to target foolish people. Instead of handling them in the flesh, if you're spirit-filled, you handle them by doing good. You operate in the way that you were created by God to do. And in doing good works, you know what you do? You shut up fools. You kill them with kindness. You bombard them with the love of Christ. You say, I got some foolish people that really annoy me. Be nice to them in Jesus' name. Okay? That'll shut them up. Try it. Try it. Test it out. And then, number four, he wants you to grow in holiness. Grow in holiness. What is that? 1 Thessalonians 4:3, it is God's will that you be sanctified. Sanctified. What does that mean? That means you are becoming gradually like Jesus. He is molding you, shaping you. You are being made holy. You say, Well, wasn't I made holy when I became a Christian? There are three tenses to your salvation. When you put your faith in Christ, you were declared righteous. Okay? That's called justification. You are declared holy, declared righteous. Now, as you live out your faith, you are being sanctified. This is your sanctification. This is Christ through the word of God and the Holy Spirit indwelling you, going to work on you and chipping away all of the things that aren't Jesus. So you look more and more like him with every passing day. And one day, eventually, you're going to be glorified. That'll be your glorification. That's when you stand before him in glory and he, he transforms you and you and rids you of your flesh, of your sinful nature. And you will be fully righteous before him. You see? So you're righteous, you're declared righteous by faith. You're being made righteous through sanctification. And one day you will be made fully righteous. Through the eradication of your old nature, your old self, your flesh, your sinfulness. Romans 15:16, uh, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's an ongoing work in you, the Bible and the Holy Spirit work hand in hand to sanctify you. Sanctify means set apart. You're to live, set apart, you're not to look like the world, you're to look like Christ. And so he wants you to be sanctified. I've had people come to me. They're like, "How do I get serious about my faith?" I, I used to uh, do young adults ministry, and I'd have some twenty somethings attend our group. And then they'd be like, "I I want to grow. I want to take you to the next level." And I'd say, "Are you living with your boyfriend? You living with your girlfriend?" They're like, "Well, well yeah, but I, I, you know, maybe if I if I grow, I can I can rub off on them and blah blah blah." And I'm like, nah, "That's not how it works. You avoid that stuff. You're set apart." You be ethical in your relationships, Uh, you know, and and we don't always do that. How can we be holy? Uh, Well, you can't be in and of yourself. But here's the thing. You still have a sin nature, but you also have a new nature. And so just like being filled with the Spirit is surrender, you submit to your new nature. You follow the lead of the Spirit in your life, and God uses that to make you more like Christ. Why did Christ... uh, uh, go into the wilderness to be tempted? What was his purpose in submitting to temptation, not relenting to temptation, but to allow himself to be tempted? What was the purpose of that? Did he go through that to show us how to do it? Was he giving us a blueprint? Was he saying, here's what you do. You quote this scripture to Satan, and then you're good. No, that's not why he did it. He did it to show us he was the only one who could do it. If you you went out in the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, you'd fail. Christ withstood it. Which means he and he alone is the only only means by which we resist temptation. It ain't our power. It's not merely our will. We have a free will, but it's really tied to our selfish, sinful desires. And so we have to submit to the only steadfast, trustworthy force that can help us grow and resist temptation. All right? And then the fifth thing is that he wants you to grow in community. He wants you to grow in community because not only do we submit to the Holy Spirit, not only does James uh, uh, say submit to God, in Ephesians it says submit to one another. One another. One another is community. Community. Ephesians 4, 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We are to be unified with one another. We live out our unity of the Spirit. See, the Spirit brings us together, and then we walk in that identity. What was the last prayer of Christ In, in John 17? He said, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. That's not just some kind of a a blanket unity where we get together and we don't talk about politics or different sports teams that might divide us or anything like that. That's not that kind of unity. It's a unity of the spirit. We are we're already unified in an invisible sense. Now we're talking about living that out in a material sense, in a physical sense. The Holy Spirit makes us one, but God intends for you to plug into the body. He intends for you to connect with one another. You're not meant to walk through the Christian life on your own. Some of you watching online, I've said it before, get your booty down here. We love you. We want to be with you. We want you to be with us. We want to live in community because you're going to grow and you're going to help us grow because that is God's paradigm. Okay? The, the church is not a standalone thing. It's just not a, a bunch of individual little people who are churches in and of themselves. We're meant to do this together. We're not spiritual lone rangers. We're to find a tonto. Amen? <laughs> All right. Hebrews 10 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, pandemic. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Even back in Paul's day, people skipped church. And so Jesus is coming back. So we don't want to waste any time here. And then the sixth thing is, he wants you to go and tell others. Is that what it is? No, he wants you to witness and make disciples. I changed it, I didn't change this. He wants you to witness and make disciples. Matthew 28 Go, therefore, I've already said this, make disciples. Now, that necessitates that we tell them about Jesus. It just doesn't stop there. We witness. Okay, We share the hope that is in us. We articulate the gospel. We let them know Jesus loves them. He died for them. He died for their sins. He paid the price. And they can know eternal life if they will believe on that. And they will give themselves to him. And so we, we lead them to Jesus. And then we come alongside them. And we show them. We walk with them. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, we got, we got some D2 stuff going on. You can learn. You can learn how to disciple people. But you want to know the oldest proven method of discipleship? It's, what, it's how Paul articulated it. Follow me as I follow Christ. That was Paul's method. He'd, he'd get close to somebody and he'd walk with Jesus. And that other person would watch Paul. And they'd learn by watching Paul. I think we can all do that. And we live a life that shares Christ. And those are the six things. Those are all God's will for your life. Now you'll notice I didn't say anything about God God's will uh, is that you prosper financially. I didn't say anything about, you know, God wanting you to be healthy and never sick. I didn't say that you'll never suffer. In fact, we're promised the opposite. In this world you will have trouble. He said, you know, they hated me before they hated you. We know there's going to be Challenges and persecution and difficulty. Uh, every good gift comes from above, but we want to know, you know, what, what about these specific things? I don't want to be outside of God's will. Okay, let's talk about that. You want to know something? Everything that we just talked about. If God is accomplishing those things in your life, what we just went through, that, that the scripture is clear, this is His will. If you are seeing that fleshed out in your life you are submitting to god in all of those areas i mean you're in community you're in the word you're uh being filled with the spirit you are you are you know taking advantage of the sanctification process all of these things if you are in line with all those desires of god in your notes guess what do whatever you want Some of you are like, are uh, uh, you sure about that, Pastor Scott? Yeah, I mean it. Do whatever you want. You have total freedom. If, if you're seeing God's will accomplished in your life, you are in line with that, then you, you are free to do what you want. You say, can you back that up with Scripture? I'm glad you asked. Psalm 37, 4. I bet you know this verse. Delight yourself in the Lord And he will give you the desires of your heart. Folks, if you're delighting in Christ, and I don't mean just saying you're delighting, I'm delighting in Christ, therefore I'm gonna buy a casino. No, you don't get to just say it. I mean, you're really delighting in the Lord, you're saved you're in his word, you're seeking truth, you're applying it in your life, you're growing in the spirit daily, you're sharing your faith, you're making disciples, you're pouring in other people. If all of that is happening, it's going to influence your desires. It's going to inform your desires. You're going to become more like Christ. That's just what sanctification accomplishes. And guess what? If you're becoming more like Christ, then your desires are starting to mirror Christ. And you're beginning to want what he wants. And the desires you have will be planted there by a holy God. Now, when I say he will give you the desires of your heart, I'm not talking about the objects of those desires at all times. I'm saying the desires themselves. Okay? Because if you truly love God, your desire will be to please him. You delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires. The desires. And sometimes he does not bring those desires into something in reality. Doesn't mean that he doesn't use those desires in your life. Not everything you pursue, you will arrive at. You will accomplish. But the journey matters. And God can use it. Uh, I have been in various ministry settings that have ended up being very, very hurtful. My desire was to drop anchor in a particular spot on occasion. And it didn't work out. And sometimes it didn't work out because two brothers parted ways. And there were righteous reasonings. And it can be painful. But ultimately, God adjusts our story. And he uses our desires, which are born out of us becoming like him and delighting in him. And so... I'm confident in saying that we can choose to do whatever we want as long as we're following the revealed God, uh, will of God. If you're doing all those things that I'm talking about, you are delighting in the Lord. Here's what Augustine said. Augustine said, uh, one of the church fathers, he said, uh, love God and do as you please. Love God and do as you please. Now, is that a license for sin? No, because no one that truly loves God is going to want to do anything antithetical to his word and therefore his will. And so I'm trying to demystify this. We want to be all mystical. I don't know why we cling to that so bad. We all just turn into Jedi. You know? I can't tell you how many times people come up to me and they go, you know, God told me to do this. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe he did. Maybe he did. But I guarantee you a lot of the time when people say that, is, is, is it an audible thing all the time? I'm not denying that it can be, but I think most of the time, the course that they're choosing, they're choosing because they want to do it. They want to do it. Now, that doesn't mean it's not God's will, but let's be honest about it. Let's just say, you know what? I think the bigger question is, is this one thing where I need to be? A dangerous conclusion is that there's one will of God. There's one destination that I got to arrive at. And if I don't hit that mark, I'm outside of God's will. I am disobedient. Folks, there are so many ways that you can please God. There's so many courses in life that are going to be honoring to the Lord. And you're not being disobedient because you choose one and not another. As long as they're both honoring to God. If God wants to redirect your path, guess what? He will. He has for me. Does that mean I was disobedient to pick a different path? Not if that path was pleasing to God. If you had the mindset that there's only one person in the world that you could marry, I would say the same thing. I'd say, there's no one. There's a type. And I've told many a young person. I think I've shared it in here. Don't get consumed with finding the one. There's no one. You look for a type of mate that is honoring to God. Make a list of the characteristics, the attributes that you're looking for. And at the top of that list better be this person loves Jesus Christ above all. Because if they love Jesus, they'll love you. And then descending on that list, you put these are the values that are non-negotiable to me. This is the kind of value on having children that I want to see in my mate. This is the kind of job I would like to see them have because I'm called to this and I want them to be called. You know what I'm saying? Put physical stuff on there. It's okay. It's okay. What are you attracted to? That's fine to pray for that, to wait for that. If you like tall, dark, and handsome, put it on the list. If you like short, bald, and hairy, put it on the list. (laughs) Unless you're a dude, don't do that. But anyway, (laughs) if you love God, and you are delighting in him. His spirit will transform you in such a way that what pleases him will please you. And you won't settle for less. You won't settle for less. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. Words of Christ. Amen. All right. That's all I got for tonight. Let's, let's bow. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And how often we try to make it so so much more complicated than it is uh, because we've got access to the Spirit of God. You've revealed your word to us for a reason. You didn't intend for it to be a, a befuddling, uh, endless mystery at all times. And God, you want us to serve you. You desire worship. Why would we think that you would make it impossible? And so I pray for your Your favor, Lord, upon everyone in this room, that you would give them joy in their journey wherever they are, to not be so fearful and consumed by what the future holds because they know who holds the future and they know who holds their present and I pray Lord that you'll give them a peace and a joy and an energy and a desire to serve you wherever they're planted at the moment and that you order their steps. As we plan our way God, we know that you are ordering our steps on this path and we trust you as you do. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.